we all have them. We all talk about them. But only two men have decided to make a podcast about their weekends. Do you have a good Saturday? What do you do? Anything good? Um, I went to... We didn't do much in the day. Two best mates. The issues are with the treatments and where researchers might... I mean, this is boring chatting at this. In an uncut chat about their weekends. I actually felt disappointed because I ordered a rubber seal for the oven door and it didn't turn up. Starring Tim and Gendel. Dad's getting pizza. And we're like, <laughs> big, big dad on campus. Hey, I didn't click my fingers and go... Mm. You did. <laughs> did you mean, hey, kids... Dad's getting pizza. Tim and Gen's weekend podcast. Anything could happen. So that's the trailer for the podcast. Yeah. What do you think? American voice, explosions, you know, do you not think it's horrifically over the top? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's perfect. Cool, cool. It's done then. Welcome to Mixtapes with Mike, the podcast where I invite a guest to make us a mixtape of 10 tracks without using the same artist twice. We're going to talk about each song, and if you like the sound of what you hear, you can listen to the mixtape in full on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. So if you're the kind of person who'd like a new mixtape to listen to every Monday, please consider subscribing. And if you enjoy the episode, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on, or better yet, just share it with a friend who you think would enjoy it. Now, this week, we are talking to comedian, writer, and former war crimes lawyer, Jess <laughs> Salomon. That's me. That's, that's, that's quite a trio, to be fair. Yeah, well, I like to say that I, uh, I was a, a former war crimes lawyer with the United Nations until I decided it was time to get serious. And that was probably one of my, that was like one of my first jokes on stage when I started doing stand-up. So, yeah, that's quite, that's quite a, a, a sort of sidestep from, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the career transition is for another, uh, another whole podcast. Um, people that make life changes, whatever, that thematically. I, I, I haven't, um, I haven't themed my pod, uh, sorry, my, uh, I haven't themed my playlist around radical career transitions, <laughs> so we don't have to get, get into it, but um, that would be a fun topic for a playlist, perhaps. Oh, absolutely. So next, ne- I hadn't thought of it. Next time, next time around. Next time, you're, you're more than welcome to come back and do side B. <laughs> I'm already making myself invited a second time to this podcast. Mate, I've been on for one minute. Yeah. Go for your Forcing life. myself, inviting myself on. Go for it. It's fine. <laughs> um, so... You are one of my random canvases uh, on social media. I scour the internet for interesting people in different cities around the world, asking if they'd be up for making a mixtape for the listener. And you were all all, all too happy to come on board. So thank you very much for coming on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you seemed like a real account. I I thought it was uh, a, a good idea for a podcast that I hadn't done before. And music is something that I haven't been, I don't know, paying attention to as much lately. I think it's really almost like the last 10 years since I started doing stand-up. I just don't, I'm out at night doing that and and always like in comedy world. So 
I, I don't go out to see shows. I'm not, I'm just, I don't know. I just, I'm not as up to date on music or maybe it's the way that we consume music now. Whereas in the past I'd, you know, buy an album and listen to the whole album and something mm. over those years of, you know, streaming and iTunes and there's, I don't there's, know. There's definitely a shift when you become a stand up in your social life to the point where your, your regular friends, like the muggles, Mm-hmm. Stop inviting you to things of an evening because they just go. They just assume that you'll be off somewhere doing gigs. Totally, yeah. My world has become so narrow <laughs> when it comes to the arts, especially because that all happens at night. And so this was a good chance to go back and remember some songs that I uh, used to listen to um, at a time when I used to go see music and when I actively listened to entire albums and they played a huge part of my life and which I don't I can't really say about music today um, which is such a a sad thing I feel like Um, but yeah also people that I don't know that will message me on Instagram usually it's some kind of a bot or a brand that wants to approach you about being an influencer or something but not I'm not I don't have enough followers that I that it's a, like a legit offer. Oh yeah, like, like they're I, just like wear. The, we'll give you this stuff for free, but and you wear it and tag us and do this and that, but they don't pay you to do it. They yeah, just I've, give you the thing, you know. I've been approached by uh, sort of. It, it was like girl boss accounts, like oh, we think you'd make a great. I was like I, I don't think you've really looked at me and who I am. Um, yeah. And then, and there was another one like, oh, we we we've got this account that is all about like owners and their dogs. We think you'd be perfect. And, oh no, owners and your cats. And I was like, I don't have a fucking cat. What are you oh talking about? But 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 I do consider a, a badge of honor that I was recently approached by a pubic hair trimming device manufacturer. Um, oh my god! You know, because a lot of podcasts are sponsored by people like Manscaped. Uh, it wasn't Manscaped. It was like Manscaped Light or whatever. I can't remember the name of it, but I was just like, oh, it's working. <laughs> well, that makes sense because, I mean, you do have a podcast and those are the kind of brands that, um, you know, advertise on podcasts. So, but no, I, yeah, I, it's, I think that the girl boss accounts are 90% of the accounts. They're the ones that hit me up too with outfits and <laughs> like lycra and workout stuff that it's just not um yeah but that they're hitting you up too makes me really realize that, that oh man like I, I was, i'm so tempted to accept and just get like a t-shirt that's blatantly too small for me and model it for them going is this is this what you were <laughs> looking for is this what you wanted <laughs> are you happy now <laughs> <laughs> So doing mixtapes has been an opportunity for you to look back. Yes. I think that, I'd say that that was the um, the primary inspiration, if there is a theme to my, I was going to say podcast, to my playlist. Uh, recently, and this isn't on my playlist, but recently, and it was around the time when you messaged me, I was on a road trip, or I was on, it wasn't a big road trip, but I was on the road with my with my wife who grew up with a completely different kind of music than I did, just in a just totally different genre mm-hmm. and group of friends and subculture and whatever. So we didn't overlap a lot. And she didn't really know who Led Zeppelin was. 
And so I started <laughs> playing stuff from Led Zeppelin for her. And then it kind of just brought me back to the basement in my parents' house growing up. And, um, and, and I thought, well, I'll probably do something like that um, for the playlist. But yeah, so that kind of came together. You messaging me and then us being in the car and her saying, I don't know who Led Zeppelin is. And then um, playing some of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs. And I don't think any of them made my playlist, but it's there's not, stuff it's, from that era, let's say. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. And there's some, and there's some stuff that I haven't really listened to before, uh, so which we'll, which we'll get into in a little while, I, I suspect. But who's your... <laughs> Imagine we never get into the playlist at all. Yeah, we just start talking comedy for like an hour. We're just like talking about weird sponsorship deals that aren't sponsorship deals on Instagram. It's fine. It's all interesting. Yeah. All right. So who's your first track by? So my first track is by Madonna. And because Madonna is, I've been just a fan of Madonna for as long as I can remember. She was my first cassette tape when I think it it was Circa Like a Virgin, um, which was such a crazy song and Material Girl. And um, it, she just was the first artist, I guess I'd say along with Michael Jackson, that I remember um, listening to and having my own tape of. And I, she's just always been there. She's always been there for me. <laughs> well, I mean, like for a lot of people. For everybody. Uh, yeah, for, <laughs> yeah. for, for a lot of people, you know, if you, if you were born in the 80s, she's been mm -hmm. more or less omnipresent. You know, like she's she's totally. reinvented herself so many times and just, just con a consistent sort of hit factory in a lot of ways. Yeah. I And there's things about her that I just think, you know, you don't see so much anymore. Well, the longevity, absolutely. The fact that she is always looking at, you know, what's the next thing and partnering with young artists, <laughs> dating young men. I mean, certainly like over the years and, and especially now I, I, you know, the aging process is, is such a challenge in this world for, for women. And the level of plastic <coughs> surgery that she's, she's been doing is, it's kind of frightening, but putting that aside, um, I mean, uh, recently I did see her last tour and her last tour was in smaller theaters. And I was there at the, and she came to New York where I am in Brooklyn at the, at the BAM. And she performed in, in what is not a big theater. And it was the first stop on, on her tour. And I just, I was, really blown away I and mean, she's still so such a great performer i i think later in the tour she had some injuries she, the way that she was moving it, i'd seen her in stadiums before but it to me it felt like it was still the production mm -hmm. and the choreography and the costumes and the sets and all the dancers and all of that that you get in the stadium but with all of that energy in a small theater and at the end of it she danced up the the aisle and um, closed on the song. That's the first one on my playlist. And it was just so crazy to see her so close, just to go to past the aisle, you know? Because I'd only ever seen her in a stadium, which is miles away. Well, I mean, I, I, I would suppose there's, there's a monetary 
bonus to doing stadiums, but I think at this point she she's not desperate for cash, so I think maybe she gets something more um, rewarding from from performing in a slightly more intimate setting. You know, you know that thing uh, where like yeah. like I I almost prefer doing stand up in tiny rooms with like low ceilings because they just can the, the, the energy is just so condensed. Whereas compared to when you do like a, a much larger venue, it can, depending on how it's set up, it can almost diminish the experience. No, I absolutely agree. Certainly for stand-up. I don't know how it is for people of her caliber. I don't know if she chose it from an artistic perspective or maybe she's now at a place where she can sell out a stadium. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the decision making was, but I enjoyed the experience a lot of being in a theater. And um, I mean, I went the, I, I want to say it was the first night or one of the first nights. It was during the week, like a Monday or Tuesday. And she took hours to come out, of course. And <laughs> um, we were there and they had taken our cell phones. And it was so crazy to just be in a theater with all of these other people and nobody had their phone so everyone just had nothing else to do but talk to each other and then some of her celebrity friends were there so they'd walk in um like who was it that came in um i forget debbie mazar and rosie o'donnell and my, my wife is just that's <laughs> fine I have an assistant, um, Debbie Mazar and Rosie O'Donnell. And then when they walked in to take their seats, you know, the lights of the house lights were on and everyone, nobody was on their phone. And so everyone just applauded them like they were part of the show. And we were all just hanging out there waiting. Um, and it was, you know, there were a lot of gay, like older gay men in, in, in costumes. And, and it was just, um, and then a couple of moms and their kids that got up to leave because they couldn't wait any longer. And it was Tuesday. and. We'd already been there for a while, um, but she was fantastic. It was really, it was such a production, and she she closed on one of her most popular songs and one of my favorite songs. It's, I think it's probably my favorite song, of, which is of hers. Like a prayer is uh, is the song that I picked. So moving on from Madonna, Like a Prayer, what are we listening to now? So the second song I picked is You Want It Darker by Leonard Cohen. And this one is also religious, I guess, is the connection to the song before. Mm -hmm. And also because Leonard Cohen is from my hometown of Montreal, okay. Canada. So he's someone who has also been present always, uh, not in the same way as Madonna at all. And I only really got into him later in life because he's more of a poet and not the kind of singer, songwriter, poet that a kid gets into. But Oh, yeah, I think, uh, I think there's a level of maturity that you need to achieve in order to appreciate Leonard Cohen. I haven't actually gone in on much Leonard Cohen stuff. You know, I, I know like the tentpole tracks that everyone kind of refers like, mm -hmm. ha like Hallelujah and well, stuff Well, Hallelujah, like that. yeah, that would be. But this song has a darkness to it. 
Oh yeah, it's dark. You know what? Um, so in 2016, which was around when my dad died, my dad died in March of 2015, and then um, January 2016, I want to say is when David Bowie died, and he put out a very dark album called, I think it was called Black Star, and it was, he knew that he was, I think he knew he was dying, and he wrote this album, and he put it out, mm-hmm. or it was put out right when he died. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I think yeah. so. And I, I was just in a very uh, sensitive place to death because of my dad dying mm-hmm. and really had been um, thinking about mortality and what happens in a, in a way that, I mean, I had thought about it before, but I never had someone so close to me pass away where I, you know, thought about them all the time and thought about if they were around and, and what that whole process was like. And, and David Bowie on his album really, I feel like, gets into it. And then Leonard Cohen died in 2016 as well. And he put out this album, which also he put out um, at the time of his death, or maybe just before, but I think knew that he was dying. And this album and this song in particular, You Want It Darker, the... So Leonard Cohen is a member of my synagogue in Montreal, and we have this incredible choir and cantor, and they're on this track. And they won a Grammy. And so that's one of my dumb, bra- I'm not even that religious, but that's one of my dumb brags about my synagogue is that the choir has a Grammy. <laughs> oh, I would, yeah, I'd take that stuff wherever you can get it. That's like, yeah. that's quite a cool sort of degree of separation, you know, from like Leonard Cohen. That's, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think that's a legit claim. Yeah, he was Jewish and uh, obviously, and also I think a Buddhist which I think is called a Jew-boo. Um, or a boo-jew, a boo-jew. Okay. Jew-boo is, there's a comedian who I love named Naomi Ekterogen, and her boyfriend or fiancé is Jewish, and she calls him her Jew-boo. Because <laughs> I don't know if you know boo, if you in England, yeah. you would call yeah. So, yeah, so he was a boo-jew, a Buddhist Jew, Leonard Cohen. Um, and there's one of the, the lyrics on You Want It Darker um, is Hineni Hineni, which is uh, I'm ready, my lord. Like here, and um, anyway, it basically it comes from the Hebrew for here I am, and it's the response that Abraham gives to God when he calls on him to sacrifice Isaac, his son. Um, and it's also a, a prayer that's said uh, at the Jewish New Year for Rosh Hashanah, and that's what the the words are that the choir is singing and that he that he's singing and just this idea of i'm you know i just feel that bowie and leonard people that put out work that when they know that they're like i don't i just it's insane to me because i if i knew that i was dying i don't know that i would be able to produce an album or it's kind of astounding when you think about someone who kind of curates their final piece of work yeah in conjunction with them shuffling off the mortal coil like yeah i'm 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 even planning you know the last thing that people will know me for when they don't even know that i'm i'm going it's it's yeah it's that kind of level of artist or I mean look everybody can handle it in their own way and you can be an incredible artist that doesn't curate your own death but it was just those two 
artists that I really like with Leonard Cohen and David Bowie and it being close to my dad's set and just thinking about how um, they were so close to it and how they wrote about it and just had made in their album it, they were really dark but it seemed like they had made peace with it you know well at least Leonard with his you know here here I am like I'm ready kind of thing um, I don't know I, I don't know that I I don't know that I would have that attitude, but I guess it depends at what age you're at. And um, and I just haven't accomplished anything. Maybe that's it. I haven't accomplished anything. I'm not ready. <laughs> my, my curated death would be my only album. <laughs> my first and last. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So that's You Want It Darker, Leonard Cohen. Scriptures and it's not some idle claim. You want it darker. We kill the flame. They're lining up the prisoners and the guards are taking. All right, so moving on, moving, on, moving on from Leonard Cohen. Who are we listening to now? So we are listening to the Magnetic Field, and they put out an album. I don't know any of their other work but i did listen to this i think it was a double cd i had a double cd remember the double cd remember the box mm -hmm. set yeah uh it was called it is called 69 love songs and there are yeah maybe it was more than two cds that's a lot of songs it was 69 songs about love mm -hmm. that were put out by the magnetic fields and this i think it's my favorite one and it's definitely more one of the most well-known songs mm -hmm. of theirs. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm sure a previous guest has selected Magnetic Fields, but I've never really sort of listened to them in any kind of depth. But I, I, there's something about this track that really kind of grabbed me, and I thought it was really well selected to follow on from Leonard Cohen because there's a slightly similar sort of tone that runs through it. It's poetic, also. And it's sort of, it's not religious in the same way, but it does suggest that uh, it, that music was given to us by some other outside power. Mm -hmm. And um, there's this one lyric that I really love. Uh, it says, the, the lyric is, the book of love is long and boring and written very long ago. It's full of flowers and heart-shaped boxes and things we're all too young to know. And I, I, just, I just love that, and things we're all too young to know. But as mortal beings on this earth, we, there's these things that are just too beautiful and complicated or ethereal or whatever for our tiny brains to fully comprehend. Oh, abs yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's weird. I, um, I used to be like a gigging musician years ago before I got into stand-up. Um, and I, I still play a little bit here and there, like you can probably see all the guitars behind <laughs> yeah, me and stuff. You had um, so many guitars behind you, yeah. But I hadn't actually written a song. I hadn't written a, like a new piece of music in such a long time. And then about a month ago, out of nowhere, this lyric just popped into my head. And then within an hour, I had the first two verses and it became really clear early on that this was a song uh, I was writing a, like from father to son I've got little boys four years old 
and the the kind of crux of the song is these these are the things I know now that I wish I knew then. So I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you all of them now. You're probably not going to understand them all at this point, but you'll you, it will become clear as you get older, kind of thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, I love it's... those father-son songs. <laughs> um, I yeah, feel I'm... like I'm trying to think of other ones. There's there's a couple that make me cry. I just love them. I guess the Cats in the Cradle is maybe the one that comes to mind. Yeah, and, and Cat Stevens. And... Yeah, that's Cat Stevens. Yeah, yeah, Cats yeah. in the Cradle. Is... And and yeah, I mean, there's uh, yeah, there's probably I, I'm, I mean, uh, you know, people people have heard me say it so many times on mixtapes in the past that I'm a sucker for a sad song, um, mm-hmm. and and anything that's got this kind of wistful sense of nostalgia and sort of passing on wisdom, uh, I always find it's a really interesting angle for music. Okay, so this is this is the Book of Love by the magnetic field okay so following on from the magnetic fields who's up next so we start to pick up the pace a little bit here at this point in the mixtape and also i guess on themes of religion um this is a song by the rolling stones mm-hmm. i almost gave away the title and i think this was one of the, the first songs where it was sort of telling a story you know where mick jagger is speaking singing as a character yeah and i remember well first of all i really like the music uh but i also really liked that he was playing a character and uh that there was like a story i guess there was a, a period of time when i was i so i didn't have older siblings which is okay. such a big deal when you when you when you speak about music uh, because older siblings are the ones that teach you everything about music. I, at least back in my day, before there were other ways to learn about, before the internet, <laughs> you know, if it was the kids in my class that had older siblings that were introduced to everything, and then they introduced it to us that didn't have anyone to teach us anything. Because maybe you had a cool parent who played music, and so you were introduced to their taste in music, like your son, for example, yeah. will be. But my parents weren't like that. My mother was from South America. I mean, she it was just in the car. She would play Julio Iglesias, the Pointer Sisters, maybe Diana Ross, um, and Neil Diamond. Those were I, my and my dad. Anyway, so. My friends with older siblings <laughs> introduced me to a lot of stuff. And I remember kind of getting into concept albums. And this isn't exactly what this Rolling Stone song is, but it is an example of a sort of storytelling type of song. There were other things that I didn't include on the playlist. One of them was the 
concept album Tommy by The Who. Oh, because it amazing. also had a it also had a film <laughs> that we watched and it was I I watched it and listened to it at the time when I was probably too young and it was kind of scary. Oh, me too. Like I I, um, I, right? I remember seeing it advertised and and taping it because it was on too late for me to watch. And I I remember my mum talking to me and go, look, there's going to be some stuff in here that's not going to make sense, but just just enjoy the music kind of thing. I know, because, I mean, there was the part where he's getting sexually abused. There's the the acid queen. There's the, which was even like a light part about it. I mean, him being deaf, dumb, and blind and getting, Mm -hmm. I don't, it is so dark. Um, but it's like, then you, but you could just listen to Pinball Wizard and it's like, oh yeah, you know, or fun song. <laughs> yeah, just, just so many, so many layers to that. But also what struck me about this, the Stones track that you picked is mm-hmm. that it never really occurred to me before, but when I was listening to it today, that they, they refer to the Kennedy assassination seven years after it happens when at the, at the point that this song right. comes out which when you're thinking about like the late 60s that's that's not an obvious choice for an artist to make you know like when, when you think about what is considered sort of risque or shocking or, or provoke, provocative now back then that's, a, that's an interesting lyric choice yes no you're right I hadn't really thought about I hadn't thought about that that angle of it I was I, I I almost just like I just like so much that Mick Jagger was just the idea of like introducing myself, you know, maybe you know who I am, like that. I just I guess I was really taken in by I mean like, can I say the devil that he's introducing himself as as the devil, right? Is that or is yeah yeah exactly the, the, you know the, the, there's there's so much ego that comes across. In, in the sort of narrative of the song, but at the same time, an amount of decorum and sort of like, <laughs> please to meet you. Yeah. And maybe I just was like, oh, maybe the devil's British. He's so polite, you know? <laughs> like, but but know. of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but it, I guess I hadn't thought of the devil being formal and, 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 and in that way. But then when I heard this song, it made perfect sense that he would be that way. Yeah. Okay, so this is? Sympathy for the Devil, The Rolling Stone. Okay, so moving on from the Rolling Stones, we have another British band accompanied mm-hmm. by one of your other favorite artists. Mm-hmm. So, well, who is this? So it's Queen with David Bowie, and I—I I mean, this song is just—I mean, it's, called, it's just a classic song. It just sort of flowed, I thought, in this section of the mixtape. And it's a song that I've always loved. It has such a recognizable beat, would you say? It's been was later sampled by yes. Vanilla Ice. 
Yeah, it's 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 the beat bass line and that's that little piano hit that Yeah. And it and it's lovely to to hear it come on in places and watch people try and guess if it's going to be the Queen song or mm-hmm. Vanilla Ice. I th- we've we've got one previous guest who is constantly disappointed when Queen comes on. He prefers Vanilla Ice, and I'm 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 I'm, I'm so I'm sorry, Grim, if you're listening. I'm I'm pretty sure you're in the minority. I know you know all the lyrics, but I I'm just gonna say on an artistic level, Queen and David Bowie probably has a little bit more heft. <laughs> I also it's come up more in recent years for me because I have two nephews that are now going to be almost four and six and the older one has been obsessed with Queen and well in particular Freddie Mercury for uh, many years of his short life and he will wear the tank top and the mustache and he does a full lip sync piano, I mean, performance. I'll have to send you the the clip. It's probably on my Instagram somewhere if you would like to share it with the podcast. It uh, did really well online because he's such a cutie. So both nephews are, uh, so they, it, and it, this is the thing, it, it could have ruined any other song. I spent days and days with them and all day long, it was like under pressure, under pressure. Put on under pressure. Like they just wanted to hear it over and over and over again. They loved it so much. I'm like, somehow it's still not ruining the song for me. Yeah, because that, oh, that is yeah. that is a risk. That is a risk, I'm, and I'm guilty of that. Mm-hmm. Like, if sometimes if I latch onto a song, sometimes yeah. I will I will overdo it to the point where I ruin it for myself. Like I um, I I actually rationed myself with the Arlo Parks record that came out earlier this year. Cause I've been waiting for it for quite a while, and listened to it. I listened to it a lot on streamers as soon as it came out, waiting for the vinyl to land, and then I've had to go right. We're only putting that on every now and then because I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, I mean the radio has done that to, for a few songs for me. Oh but yeah, I, My nephews, my nephews came close, but um, didn't quite ruin it. The other thing is, as I mentioned earlier. Bowie died in, in January of 2016, and at that time, uh, people were posting about him, and somebody posted a YouTube video of Bowie and Annie Lennox doing Under Pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually it's a video of them rehearsing Under Pressure together for a Freddie Mercury tribute show. <coughs> Big outdoor concert, mm-hmm. and it's the rehearsal is so cool and they're so great and you see George Michael in the wings hanging out with them like dancing and you know singing like along and it's I watched that a lot when Bowie died like it was just something that came up in my feed and Mm. I hadn't seen that video of that rehearsal before one of the things that really sort of ingrained this song with me because I liked it anyway in the first place and I've, I've, you know, oh God, people, this is almost like a drinking game at this point with this this podcast. But a lot of the time, uh, I, I get a real attachment to a song when it's used in a skate video. Like I grew up as a skateboarder, and okay. we we watch skate videos. Like people will listen to albums. Like we will just watch them again and again and again because we just 
And then so you just get this connection between the visual and the music. And there was a really, really epic skate video that, that came out in the, I want to say, early 2000s called The End. It was like Tony Hawk's brand video. And this song was used on like a, a dual section of two skaters like riding together by the name of Jeremy Klein and Heath Kirkchar. And it, it, it wasn't video, a lot of it was shot on film and they, they did some sort of like very cinematic stunts that were kind of woven into it, which really suited the sort of the crescendo of the, of the music. Yeah. Uh, and so it just kind of, it kind of rejuvenated the song. And, and gave me like an even stronger connection to it at the time. It's to the point where I, where I, I hear the song and I start picturing parts the of the section as it as it as it plays out. That's oh. so cool. Yeah, I mean that's enough to connect you a thousand percent the two the two things together. Um, I mean now for me it's uh, it's my nephews, um, but it's been different different things at different. Oh, times. but you know, but still, what a beautiful connection. And you're yeah. the and you're the older family member passing this stuff on. You're the yeah. you're the cool aunt showing them I cool am the music. Cool, I'm the cool gay aunt, childless aunt. Okay, so moving on from Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie, who are we listening to now? So next up, we have Annie Lennox, who I thought of because of that Freddie Mercury tribute show where Bowie and Annie Lennox are rehearsing. I'm loving the connections. The I'm loving all the. Before. I am loving all the connective tissue that you've you've woven into this. This is great. This is, this is why you are a perfect mixtapes guest. Oh my God, I'm so flattered. Okay, um, so this song is just my favorite song by Annie Lennox. I just find it so upbeat and um, I don't know. I don't even know it necessarily. I haven't really thought too much about, about the lyrics. Um, I also don't want to give it away. I don't even know what the song means. I just... I just really love her and it just makes me happy. I could I could maybe project and I'm sure this is not what it means of breaking glass ceilings and, and walking off the glass. But um, it probably I, I need to go back and read the read the lyrics because I don't even um, I haven't thought about what the song the lyrics or the song is I, about. I'm guilty of this so much. Like I like I'm I'm so guilty of just listening to songs and enjoying it and not actually reading in to the lyrics. And sometimes I've been surprised by it when like, oh that song's actually about a death you know. Um but yeah. this song to me sounds like a a slightly dysfunctional relationship. Uh, okay, that makes sense. The the they the, the, the that there's there's love but it's i mean this is my take on it there's, there's love there but uh it's it's yeah maybe a little bit dysfunctional a little bit destructive and a little bit volatile 
I love an upbeat sort of sounding song with darker lyrics. You know, it's uh, I yeah, it's, it can be it can be very um, a fun juxtaposition. Oh, absolutely. If you pay attention to the lyrics, which I never really did with this song. I just I just love her. Uh, you know what? Like, because you don't really and see her doing much these days. And for and for a while, she was like a UK, she was like a, a like a, a UK thinking man's Madonna, like mm -hmm. through the eighties and nineties, you know. And she was just constantly putting out material, really striking to look at, you know. And like there, there's a lot of the stuff that she did with Eurythmics, which was just timeless, like sweet yeah. dreams, like yeah. sweet. And when you think about like how, like contemporary music now. Mm -hmm. is busting its gut to sound like it's from the 80s and like everyone's mm -hmm. using synths and all these crazy keyboards to, to, to make it sound like the 80s so like Sweet Dreams could come on now and some tween would think that it was and it it, it would sound new to them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. such an astounding piece of production that yeah no it's true I mean it's just because a lot of stuff is just manufactured a lot of celebrity a you know, speaking of Madonna in the first, uh, from the first song, she came to New York with nothing. She started out in the gay club. She built her audience. She, you know, she made everything happen in the way that, you know, somebody coming to New York with nothing makes themselves, builds themselves into a star and isn't, doesn't go through the, the machine that is the Disney club and mm -hmm. whatever you know Britney and Justin and Christina and you know and that was even a long time ago but now it's yeah it's, a lot of it is just so manufactured and so there's something that you you can use since and you can use you know all these kinds of protections but know, there's just something to be said for people who were talented and didn't didn't come through some kind of machine absolutely okay so this is this is Broken Glass by Annie Lennox. Okay, so moving on from Annie Lennox, who's up next? Up next we have Jefferson Airplane with Grace Slick on vocals, lead vocals. I wanted to include some powerful women on my playlist. And Janis Joplin, I'd say, who's not on the playlist, and Grace Slick were probably the first um, powerful female front and center type of rock and roll um, examples that I, I had <coughs> growing up. Um, and I don't know how I got into Jefferson Airplane. I think it was just that I, because they were that they were definitely before my time. Mm -hmm. um, but I I was I was definitely a hippie um, in like in college and. I liked drugs and I liked jam bands and I got into Fish and The Grateful Dead and through that, especially The Grateful Dead, I started reading a lot about 
the 60s and, and 70s and Kate Ashbury and Woodstock and I was pretty enamored. I mean, this is what the, like, everybody says it now, kids look back at the 90s the way that we look back at the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. in the 90s. Um, so in the 90s, I was looking back and, and thinking and romanticizing about what it would have been like to grow up at that time. And I was pretty enamored with the whole thing and with hallucinogenic drugs. And so Jefferson Airplane was one of the uh, one of the bands that I read about and then listened to. And um, this is a really fun song of theirs. Okay, so this is? This is Somebody to Love. Somebody to So now usually I let the guests introduce each act as we as we make our way through the mixtape. But I I I'm I'm going to take the reins here because I have a I have a confession to make, Jess. Mm-hmm. Tell me. Oh, I think I'm I know sorry, where you're going. Sorry. I'm my 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 name is my name is Mike and I've never listened to the Grateful Dead before. <laughs> this is over. <laughs> is this you storming out of the podcast? This is me storming out of the podcast. This is me angry. No, 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 hold on, hold on. Slowly because slowly the Zoom. Be, be, because you, you're, you, you're like the cool big sister in that you've introduced me to The Grateful Dead and I listened to this and I was just like, this is really cool. Like, I'm into this. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. So the, the two, like, the two bands that I listened to a lot in, in college, one is the Grateful Dead, and, and it was a whole subculture unto itself. And the other one was Fish, which was the which still exists. Well, they both still exist, but um, Fish exists with all of the members still. Oh, they're younger, um, although they're not young, but they're, they're younger. And um, they were sort of the heirs of the Grateful Dead in that they produced, they had a similar subculture that came along mm-hmm. um, with Ben and a lot of fish fans had first been fans of the Grateful Dead. That said, they are different in that the Grateful Dead, I could still listen to some of their songs, even mm-hmm. though I'm not uh, at a live show and I'm not in that world anymore and I'm not doing drugs. Whereas fish, I could kind of still maybe get into but their lyrics are a lot more silly and it's not that, you know, not that interesting. Whereas the Grateful Dead, they had a lyricist named Robert Hunter mm-hmm. um, and a lot of his, the songs that he wrote, he just had a couple of years ago, um, are really beautiful. And so they, they all, so they, so the Grateful Dead has all of this sort of um, improvised jamming kind of music um, long, some long songs, but they also have a lot of songs that are just really nicely written um, songs that you could listen to still at home. Um, so, yeah. So, actually, I should say I had a quote from um, a Robert Hunter song in my. Don't you guys do this? Where in your yearbook, it gets in high school, you 
you put something in that when you no, graduate, like we don't, you we, have like a quote or something? We, we don't, not that I know of. We never had like a yearbook type of thing when I was in, in high school. Um, okay. But I mean, there, there are there are several sort of US kind of phenomena that have kind of sort of made their way over like i mean like we never had a prom when i was at high school but i know that that's that's like a regular thing now but um but no we didn't i don't recall there being any kind of yearbook i mean the closest thing we had was people would like get all their friends to sign their white school shirts on their last day of school so they would take on this this white shirt full of all their friends signatures kind of thing okay so we signed in the book and there'd be a yearbook committee and the students that would put the whole thing together and each class had their picture. But your last year you had your pictures, you had your own picture, not just like the whole class together. Mm-hmm. And you had a little space to write some of your memories and everybody wrote them in some kind of code that only your friends would know what you were talking about. And then sometimes people added a quote, um, like one of the dumb codes was to say instead of writing tequila we wrote to kill ya right um whatever anyways <laughs> such losers but uh but i had a, a quote from a song called box of rain um as so i think that was probably around when i was getting into the grave well that's definitely when i was getting into the grateful dead right before college and i got to see them once before college uh, started and I went to college in the U.S. and there I was much more. There were just a lot more deadheads and fishheads um, once I left Montreal and went to Boston. Um, but the lyric from Box of Rain was um, "Feel your way, feel your way like the day before. Maybe you'll find direction around some corner where it's been waiting to meet you." So that was for my graduation quote. The song that I picked. There's so many Grateful Dead songs. Um, and of course, back in the day, and probably still, with the fi- with with Fish and the Grateful Dead, the whole thing was, um, you know, bootlegs of the shows themselves. So I had all of these cassette tapes, and they were from uh, that we everybody traded, and some people had, you know, the whole thing was to get like the soundboard quality one, and they were all like of different qualities, and you'd record, you know, make copies of them, and how many generations away from the soundboard version it was. Mm-hmm. And um, and there were like the famous, for the Grateful Dead, really like the late 70s were the, the sort of the peak, I think, 77, 78, those were the peak. So so people make fun of, of deadheads and fishheads. And, and I, I understand that there's things to be made fun of there. But the thing that, the thing that happened for me is that I, I, I loved I loved the music and I had just the best time in that in that world and and going on tour and especially with fish because they were actually around longer. Um, I you know in college I must have seen like 40, 40 shows or something like that over just a couple of years and I just it was a very fun world but it also opened me up to um, improvised music in general so mm-hmm. jazz and. <clears throat> And some funk and um, yeah, I so I, for me that was sort of my intro into getting into music in general. And I, I that's why in the '90s my wife was into hip hop and R&B, and I never listened to the radio because I was just basically trading these these tapes with songs that were you know 25 minutes long. Yeah, I mean, like 
like I said, like I didn't really know much about them. I hadn't listened to them uh, until you, you selected this track. But I've seen them referenced in comedy and sitcoms so mm-hmm. much. But what what I'm what I get from that, and especially from what you described, is that there's like a sense of community around these bands. Like they're not just like individual followers. There's like it's it's almost like they're trading these bootlegs like currency, and there's they're they're really really kind of devout. Um, yeah. And and you don't get that from a lot of bands. And I don't know what it's like today now that there's the internet and cassette tapes aren't a thing. And I don't know. I guess it goes up. People put playlists out online and that are recorded at shows. The band now can put stuff online. Um, so I'm not sure what the subculture is there. There were a lot of things that were really fun. I mean, part of it was a lot of it was the shows you ended up camping at or people that were touring, you know, fans that would just go from show to show, they made money by selling stuff in the parking lot. So mm-hmm. the parking lot scene was a whole thing unto itself. And <laughs> the main part of the parking lot, because people were selling everything. And and at some point I was also, you know, selling, um, you know, buying cartons of cigarettes and selling them individually or making grilled cheese or whatever in the parking lot. One of the Grateful Dead songs, one of their songs is called Shakedown Street. And whatever like the main strip of the parking lot camp out world was, was called Shakedown Street. And so, you know, it'd be like, oh, me, you know, you knew that that was like the center of the, the outside the show economy that had popped up. And I don't know if it's like this anymore because I, Fish was like this in the 90s when I saw them. Um, but now I did, then I, then, you know, I sort of stopped, I left that world and I grew up or whatever. And, and I, I wasn't going on tour anymore. And, um, I moved back to Canada and my, like, so after college, I didn't, I didn't keep up with fish at all. And they also broke up one point, got back together. And a year ago, a friend of mine, uh, who only knows them from since they got back together and much, much later who's a comedian and younger, she she was at, got into fish later on and um, had tickets for the New Year's shows in at Madison Square Garden. And I and I went and uh, it was so crazy because I hadn't seen them in like 20 years. Um, and now the audience was all 20 years older. So it just maybe if I had been keeping up with them year after year, it'd been one thing, but now it, it was just everyone had kids and mortgages and this was sort of their night out it was mostly guys it was mm-hmm. all like the bathroom for the women was zero i mean it was like a ufc match or something and it, it was all these guys with their college buddies that had gotten in a babysitter in the night off and it just because at the in, when i saw them in college when we were 20 years ago everybody was dressed like there was a whole aesthetic too i mean and mm-hmm. it's good that let's say the the white people dreadlocks aren't there anymore but now it's there's the same amazing light show but it's bouncing off all of these bald spots you know (laughs) (laughs) like it's really freaking me out thank god i didn't do any hallucinogenics i would have been like you know (laughs) really going down a bad road but um anyway the reason i picked this particular grateful dead song is to bring it back is because i mean and there are so many that i that i could have picked but this particular one 
Um, when I, the, I saw the Grateful Dead a couple of times. One was before I went moved to the U.S., so my last year of high school. And then my, my freshman year of college, the Grateful Dead played six shows in seven days at the Boston Garden, which they did every September, apparently. I didn't know that until that year that I got to Boston. And we went down every day and tried to get in, and I definitely saw two or three of those six shows. And it was a crazy time in Boston, a crazy time in university because we were all in that deadhead world. There was a, a girl that had was a couple years older that had gotten a massive shipment of mushroom, hallucinogenic mushrooms, sent to like the school mail room, and they found they opened it up, and then she pretended that it wasn't hers, and she got arrested. And it was like this was like within the first few weeks of getting to university because it was just it was in September of my first year. And then, anyway, the next year, our second year, we weren't in the dorms anymore. We lived in something called the E House, which was the environmental house, not the ecstasy house, but might as well have been. And it was uh, slightly off campus, but now we weren't, we didn't have a lot of supervision in that house. And so the whole plan was that a lot of people were going to come and descend upon Boston and stay in our house to be there for those six shows in seven days or however many they were going to be doing in. Maybe this was 90, no, a 95 or 96. Anyway, and um, the August before that September, Jerry Garcia died. And so, you know, he's the lead singer and guitarist and big, big, big part of the band. They've since sort of been doing music together without him and had John Mayer maybe in there at some point. Anyway. I, I couldn't after that, but um, but I was that was the first time a musician died that I was devastated, like really devastated. And um, the other and the reason for this song is because the rumor was that September, one month after Jerry Garcia died, that run of shows in Boston at the Garden was going to be the last run of shows at the Garden because they were tearing down the Boston Garden and building a new stadium. And this song that I picked, um, they didn't, they hadn't played in years because they had played it too much. And I guess and everybody always wanted them to play it. And they were like, we're not playing it. We're not playing it. We're not playing it. And so I don't know how many years it had been that they had played it, but the rumor was that they were going to play it because the first line of the song, <laughs> like you're delving into conspiracy theory stuff that I'm almost sounding like. Um, it says, wait, hold on, let me find it. The, okay, it says, um, the first line of the song is St. Stephen with a rose, in and out of the garden he goes. So everyone was like, this is the last, they come to the Boston Garden every year. This is the last string of shows at the garden because they're tearing down the garden they're going to play St. Stephen. And, uh, and a month before, Jerry Garcia died and it didn't happen. Oh, so sad. So, it wasn't to be. So, I know. So that's why I picked St. Stephen by the Grateful Dead.
So moving on from the Grateful Dead, who are we listening to now? Oh yes, uh, we're listening to Lou Reed. This is another, this is a very classic song, like Ice Ice Baby, <laughs> up there with, you know, the great song. And um, I just always love this song and I think it's one of those songs that the first time I heard it, it also has you know, a, a very classic uh, beat, or I don't know how to not give it away, but I think the first time I heard it when I was young, I didn't know what it, I definitely, it's a song that I didn't know what it was about originally and came to know what it was about later and realized um, later, in addition to it, just having a really cool beat um, that it was uh, like really ahead of its time. Because um, it it and also it's a story oriented type of song which uh, references um, I guess the experience of transgender women coming to New York and in particular the time in New York when um, Andy Warhol's The Factory was going on those, that heyday of of. I'd say the East, the Lower East Side in New York, and that creative, artistic, party scene. It definitely but, conjures Im images of all of that. Like, mm -hmm. you, you only need to know a little bit about that era to hear this song, and it just completely paint a picture in your mind. Like these kind of debauched, extravagant kind of parties and artistic kind of collaborations and uh, this kind of cross-pollination between music and art. Like, it, it, yeah. it, like it, all in one song, it just evokes all of that. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, a, it's another, it's one of those songs Sugar where I, I just streets. wanted to be in that world, you know, even though it's, it's kind of dark, but um, and this is so dumb, but I guess um, the other the other song slash the beat being used in uh, Ice Ice Baby. In this case, there was another song with the word "wild" in the in the title that was also an old song that for some reason, and I don't know what it was used in, but as a kid, I sometimes get these two songs mixed up because right. they both had the word wild in them, but they were so vastly different because <laughs> the other one was wild thing. Dun, 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 you make my heart. And I, and I, and sometimes I, in my head, as when I was young, I, I, I wouldn't know which one was which, you know? I, when I heard it, I, I knew that they were different, but the, the title of it, for some reason, I was like, which one's the cool one and which one's the other one? And, anyway, and, and, this and one was the cool one. But this one was the cool one, and this was the one that was sampled in a more legitimate hip-hop song as well. Wait, which, which one was it sampled in? So this was uh, sampled in Can, you, Can I Kick It by Tribe Called Quest. Oh, okay, okay, right, right, right. Way more yes. legit than Vanilla Ice. Right, right. <laughs> Don't tell, what is it? Not Grimes, Grim. Your friend. Oh, Grim. Yeah. 
Grim. <laughs> was Grimes on this podcast? <laughs> not yet, not yet. Um, Grim, Grim is a skate shop owner in South Wales who okay. is in a punk rock band where he that he fronts wearing a mariachi wrestler mask type Mexican wrestler oh. mask. He's a, cool. a very entertaining dude. Um, I'll have to get him back on soon because he is. I'm gonna uh, go listen to his playlist. He's good value. He's definitely good value. You'll, I think, I think you'll enjoy it. So moving on from Lou Reed and Walk on the Wild Side, we find ourselves at your final track. But before we get stuck into that, for the benefit of anyone who's hearing about you for the first time, where's the best place to find out about who you are and what you do? So I have a website, JessSolomon.com, where you could sign up for a newsletter, which I don't send out very often, but I will put down shows if I'm traveling. I have some videos up there, but I'd say uh, social media is great. I'm Jess underscore Solomon, S-A-L-O-M-O-N, Twitter and Instagram. And I got like a link tree in the bio with stuff there. And I have with my wife, we have a duo act. She's also a comedian. And we have a cartoon account on Instagram called at the L Solomon. So the, T-H-E-E-L. S-A-L-O-M-O-N-S. And actually illustrated by a friend of ours who lives in London, England, not Ontario, um, named Jesse Brown. And he's an amazing illustrator. And he, we've been putting up comic, like it's sort of like a comic strip, basically about our marriage that he illustrates. And he's very, very talented. And so go there and check out the cartoons. They're very fun. Uh, relationship stuff, political jokes. She's I'm Jewish and my wife is Palestinian, so. Oh wow! Okay. You, you could imagine. Okay. You and hilarity imagine. ensues. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll be sure to put links to all of those things in the show notes. But tell us who your final track is by. So my final track is by David Byrne um, from the musical American Utopia but it's also I believe the song was also sung by the Talking Heads Mm -hmm. before but American Utopia was the last show that I saw on Broadway before lockdown Um, and it was so much fun and this song is um is it's yeah i guess and we've touched on this a little bit just a very that kind of upbeat feel like those upbeat songs that are not necessarily where the lyrics don't necessarily match Mm -hmm. um the the levity of the music but the whole musical to me american utopia i don't know it was such a dark time we didn't even know about covid yet but just america under trump just everything feeling very dark and out of control. Not that it's so much better now <laughs> at all, but very much um, going off the deep end and this idea of road to nowhere and and going to see this show 
it was such a it's I don't know it's almost like just laughing in the in the face of disaster and you know it, I don't know sometimes when things are so bad that you get to the point where you're just like what else could go wrong you know and I don't we, we have been watching easily, with but, great yeah. curiosity and uh, astonishment of you know of the last sort of five years or so that you guys have had um, mm -hmm. and... I mean and I moved here from Canada I'm not even you know I don't even have like I'm, I'm not even from here and my wife my Muslim wife and I moved here just before Trump um, with so that was that was the timing of that and uh, anyway we moved here for show business but you know I, we really, there were many moments where we were like, what's our red line? <laughs> I mean, I, what COVID, the way COVID hit New York was a red line. And we did, we did go back to Canada for the first four months of it to the woods because things were so terrible in New York. Mm -hmm. And also we were being punished by <laughs> Trump because he didn't like Cuomo and we were a blue state. So he, they weren't sending any respirators here and they were opening an evangelical tent hospital that Mount Sinai gave the contract to these evangelicals um, who set up a tent hospital in Central Park. And I was like, you're Muslim, I'm gay. Like, we gotta get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that, so that this was the last show that we saw. And I just, it was sort of just this moment of being able to, um, I don't know, just dance while the world is on fire kind of thing. Well, I think when, when you're when you're in amongst uh, a kind of a social political landscape like that, you've got to take whatever moments of joy you can grab hold of and just completely embrace the moment. I yeah. know I would. Yeah. And this song helped helped me do that. I remember that night, and it was the first time I got to see a musical on Broadway that was kind of more concert than mm -hmm. musical. It didn't have. Uh, a narrative through line really and so and there were many moments of people standing up and dancing in their you know in front of their chairs so which i'd never done on broadway before so Amazing. that was very fun yeah so this is road to nowhere david byrne also the talking heads but this specifically version of it is live from the soundtrack uh american utopia that was on broadway Amazing. Jess, thank you so much for coming on. Like, I, I, I've really, really enjoyed the conversation and I love how crafted your mixtape has been. I love all these little connections. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed this and I will not hesitate to have you back for a, for a, for a B-Sides. <laughs> thank you. This, thanks for giving me the opportunity to sit down and do this. I really, I really had fun. It was lovely chatting with you. If I ever get to the UK... I hope that I will. I'm sure I will. Um, it would be lovely to meet in person. So that concludes this week's episode. And it's not always easy to line up with a guest that's based in New York. So I am really grateful to Jess for making the time to have what was a very interesting conversation. 
and I'm also grateful for how much effort she put into curating her mixtape, a really interesting collection of songs with some great reasons behind them. As promised, there are links in the show notes so you can check out all of her creative endeavours. And as always, we've kept the music played below the conversation because I believe that all musicians should be paid for what they do. So if you want to hear Jess's mixtape in full, you can find it on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would take a moment to leave a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you know anyone who you think would enjoy it, it would be really helpful if you would share it because that's one of the ways that I will grow the audience of the show. But for now, I will see you next week for another episode of Mixtapes with Mike. This is your life. These are the things I know now. I wish I knew then. I've made some mistakes and I'll make them again. I wasted my time trying to be something for them when I should have been me. And you'll screw it up. Try as you might, you must get it wrong so you know what is right. And you'll fall in love, it comes with a cost. You won't know it's worth until it is lost. No way to get around it. Let's stay up and talk about it. Take this drink, don't tell your mum. We'll sit here till we see the sun, and you'll always be mine. All it takes is time to realize this will all be fine in the end. <clears throat> Some things that begin are not meant to last. It can be for the best to let go of the past. As soon as you do, a new day begins. You carry the losses as well as the wins. I'm here with you now. I won't always be. I look at you now and see so much of me. We thought we'd have to, but you are the one. I want you to know I'm so proud of my son. No way to get around it. Let's stay up and talk about it. Take this drink, don't tell your mum. We'll sit here till we see the sun. You'll always be mine. And all it takes is time to realize this will all be fine. This is your life, ready or not Try it too good with the time that you've got I know that you can, I hope you do too Your mother and I are just so proud of you You'll always be mine And all it takes is time to realize this will all